We demystify what goes on behind the therapy room door. Join us on this voyage of discovery and co-creative conversations. This is the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors podcast with Bob Cook and Jackie Jones. Welcome back to this next episode of the Therapy Show Behind Closed Doors with me, Jackie Jones, and the wonderful Bob Cook. And I know what we said at the end of the last episode, but as always, we've changed our minds. So we're going to do a series of the next 10, 15 podcasts all around the different types of clients that we might see in the therapy room. And this episode is going to be working with the withdrawn client. So, Bob, over to you. Why, Why the change of heart and why have we decided to look at the different types of clients that might come to us because i thought it might appeal to the listener more actually yeah because they can actually see how we work with particular types of or styles of people yes that come through the door yeah i think one of the things that i'm finding a lot lately is that you know clients get a little bit I don't know, confused when I say that as human beings, we're multifaceted. (laughs) Yeah. What we portray and how we actually are and our personalities, it's not not flat. It's not one-dimensional. No, we get many different characters. So let's start with the withdrawn client. Yes. So let me give you a a, um, picture of a client I'm thinking of. We'll call this client Jane. For the confidentiality. Yes. But before I do that, let's talk about what I think is the secret desire of clients that actually hide themselves. But they hide themselves because of uh, survival purposes, which we'll talk about later. Yeah. And they have a secret desire to be rescued. So let's think of the uh, fairy story, the fairy story, Sleeping Beauty. Yes. So in Sleeping Beauty, what happens is that um, <clears throat> there's a king and queen and their wonderful daughter uh, is born and they have, a, they have a wonderful, lavish party and they invite all the people of their kingdom, plus all the witches, good, bad witches, and there's this wonderful party to christen their daughter. Yes. This young princess. But they forget to invite a particular witch, which turns out to be a nasty witch in the end. However, the nasty witch hears of this wonderful party and decides to go anyway. So she turns up to this wonderful party with all these people of the land and the king and queen who are really putting out a wonderful show for the christening of their child. And the evil witch or the bad witch sort of really goes, has a a spiteful turn and actually places a curse on the baby. And And the curse goes something like this. When you're 16 years of age, you will prick your finger on a spinning jenny and die. However, a good witch who is 
<clears throat> actually not actually cast any of her spells yet for positivity, says, I'm going to soften this curse. And what will actually happen is that when she reaches 16 and picks her finger on a spinning jenny, she will go to sleep for 100 years and she will eventually be rescued by a prince who will kiss her and wake her up. Yay! And this is what happened. This is exactly what happened. So the, the fairy story is that she was cursed, fell asleep, a wonderful hero came along, went through all these Herculean tasks, managed to kiss her and she woke up and everything was hunky-dory. And that's what I think the secret desire is of the withdrawn clients that we see. Okay. So they, these types of clients, <clears throat> what they really, how they present, I'm just thinking of Jane here. So when she first came into therapy, she um, came into my office, sat down, I made her a cup of tea as I always do with all my clients. That was the first step, if you like, in the sort of introduction of this client. And I remember sit her sitting there looking very young, very, very still, and seemed to me quite terrified. But on the other hand, she was very, very socially functioning. And she was very, in a way, she was almost pleasing with me in terms of she, she asked me about herself, myself, uh, told a little bit about how she really wanted to have more spontaneity and fun in her life. And she wasn't uh, good in relationships and she wanted to be in relationships. And she told me a little bit about how she sabotaged her happiness through drugs. So she'd been a drug addict for maybe 10, 15 years. And her relationships were very short and she wasn't able to maintain a continuous relationship. And she lost all sight of having any fun or spontaneity in her life. More than anything else, she wanted to be able to be what she would call unfrozen because she felt frozen in life. And in relationships, she was so scared that she actually didn't know how to be in a relationship. And she sat there, it just reminded me of a little girl who was frozen, but so frightened to really even be with me in the room. Wow. So as the treatment progressed, what happened was she, amazingly, I couldn't believe it, but she did. Every week, we had an hour each week, and she would turn up dutifully on the hour, we'll just say six o'clock. Yeah. So she turned up at six o'clock. And in fact, she was dead on at six o'clock. Yeah. And um, she would come, whatever the weather was like, whatever was happening in her life, whether she'd been on drugs the night before, whether she'd been on a, a bit alcoholic binge, whether, whatever it is, she did everything to turn up. And she was so socially functioning. What I mean by that was that in the therapy room, she would go out of her way to be pleasing to me. In fact, I remember her often asked, saying to, 
saying to me, I'll make the cup of tea. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted so much to, to have me on her side. However, as treatment, as the treatment went on, which is all about really, you know, me initiating as much as I can a relationship with her through a relational inquiry, you know, we started to get a little bit beneath the layers of the onion, if you like. Yeah. In other words, the Jane that I was meeting really would be what I call a social self. The part of a self that would be quite good at socially functioning and in a way pleasing me. Yeah, are you with me so yeah. far? Yeah. But that's the part that I met. So I didn't meet any other part, <clears throat> except that I knew that underneath these layers, the, or this socially functioning Jane, if you like, was another part of the self, which I believe was, this is where the, the story, you know, the, <clears throat> the uh, Axie story of Sleeping Beauty comes in, was so frozen in time that I had not yet seen her. So for me, the therapy at that time for me was about a gentle relational inquiry. So in a way I could actually, um, with her help in the dialogue, find a way to go underneath or meet a different Jane rather than the social self that she presented. But you see, the problem was she was so afraid of exposure. She was so afraid of rejection by me. She was so afraid of abandonment by me that she was terrified of any sense where I would actually meet the real self. That's what I mean. So the real self in my book, or this other self, was frozen in time. It was so withdrawn that she'd almost forgotten herself. So my job was to provide a safe, secure setting and a safe other person that just for a moment or two, the real self might emerge. Yeah, you with me? Yeah. Have you ever been to, well, you would, I'm going to say Chester Zoo, but in Chester Zoo, there's a mere cap camp facility, in other words, if you know meerkats, I don't know if you've ever seen them. Yeah. But if you go, uh, if I, I used to go for uh, many times with my daughter, and she used to love watching meerkats. And in Chester Zoo, they have a, a meerkat camp, if you like. And the thing about meerkats, it was, or and is, is that they would pop up for about four or five seconds and then pop down again and then pop up somewhere else. Yeah because they were so afraid of exposure. And that's how it is with this type of withdrawn client. You have to catch them at the moment of contact, just like the meerkats. And that's when you can do the therapy. Yeah. But it's a very, very gentle psychotherapy, a very patient psychotherapy, where you just catch a glimpse of the younger self, if you like, or the real self, which is so protected by the social self but if you can catch them just in that moment you can see the soul or the heart of the real self 
but they only come up just for a few seconds. And that's when you need to really meet them if possible before they withdraw even further into a sort of deeper camp, which they've constructed in the inner psyche. Yeah, which, as you said right at the beginning, is all about protection. Yeah, because these people are usually protecting their younger self against um, uh, harm, if you like, or trauma or rejection or abandonment, usually severe trauma. The, the client only withdraws to that type of level that we're talking about, like Jane did, when something traumatic, or doesn't have to be one thing, could be many traumatic expo, uh, experiences happen, that they have to withdraw and psychologically hide themselves because they're so afraid of that inner part of themselves being annihilated or their fantasy of annihilation or their fantasy of rejection or their fantasy of abuse if you want to put it that way yeah that they hide themselves so securely and just like the fairy story it needs a prince with magical powers to make contact with them so they can wake up and live their lives again in a healthy way. That's the secret desire, but the fear is of exposure and death. So it's a story, it's a therapy of life and death. And the therapist needs to initiate, and if you like, very, very gently meet the client in a way which they can tolerate. So the, the, the problem would be overwhelming the client, uh, but it's a very gentle psychotherapy. And now with Jane, I would say that it was at least getting on for seven or eight months before she started to actually, her real, her real state self started to be visible for me to reach her. Yeah. Until then, a lot of the work I did was with the social self, actually. And it was only until she felt safe and secure with me that she allowed herself to, just like the meerkat analogy, she allowed herself to come out so I could meet her in a very honoured, relational way. Where she would have a different experience to what her fear was. So it was only through that type of reparative therapy that the withdrawn person starts to gently allow herself, and this is what happened, to actually um, external, externalize, if you want to put it that way, started to allow herself to come out. Now when she gets validated by me, and that's, that, that's what happened of course, she started to have a different reparative experience where she starts to not only feel her external feelings, but allows herself in the therapy to have a different experience. So how, how is that taken outside of the therapy room? 
Well, once once you've connected with that. Yeah, but let's step back before I answer that, because I, what I would like to get over the listener, that this is not short-term psychotherapy. No, yeah. Uh, with Jane, it was seven or eight months before I even, even got in touch with that part herself, which had been hiding not only to me, but herself. And this is what I'm talking about in a withdrawn way. And it's not until she started to have that reparative experience with me that she started to get in touch with part of herself that's withdrawn. And as she started to get in touch with herself withdrawn, then she could start to explore internal and external feelings. The problem then now happens, and it did with her, is she then gets in touch with her own even deeper internal critic that tells her off for actually trusting me. Yeah. So in other words, an even more savage saboteur internally that tells her off even more savagely. And TA you might call the script backlash, but let's just say it's the, yeah. the internal critic. Now, what starts to happen then in the therapy room, is she, and I experienced this, is that she, start, she started to shut down even more. Yeah, you, you with me? Yeah, yeah. Now, let's go back to your question, which is, which is what I think is aimed at, which is how does the person start to integrate this, what we call split between the internal and external self, or the split between the false self and the real self? How does she start to integrate that in the world outside? See, Jackie, and why I stopped you is, I just want to really make a good point. Well, I think it's a very important point, which is that it has to happen with the therapist first. Yeah, hundred percent. And I I see it quite regular about when it pops up because I think that happens with a lot of personalities. That then comes the shame around being seen, and then it goes down even further. <laughs> it's a bit of like cat and mouse for a while, where they they show it and then it disappears and that internal critic and backlash and everything mm. can happen. That's right. But the, the real problem is if they if they experiment experiment with this move into externalizing too quickly mm -hmm. without the protection of the therapist. Yeah. So they start you know, doing risky things uh, when they're away from the therapy session. They start taking more drugs. They start, um, you know, attempting to go into relationships in a very risky way with risky people. And then they actually recreate a situation which is far worse. So they have to, they have to, I believe, anyway, have the protection of the therapist. So they need to practice this uh, being visible with the therapist. They need to have these reparative validation. They need to have the different experiences. They need to, you know, go through the shame-based process where the therapist can actually provide the protection to the internal critic before they start to practice this in the real world. Yeah. yeah. Now, 
so going back to your question is which is the important one after a year and a half two years whichever way you want to look at this so how what do they just start doing well first of all with the work with the therapist with the withdrawn part of the client is positive then what will happen is is the client to start experiencing parts of herself which she hadn't experienced before then the therapist will validate that this is the work i did with her and then as we've got this sort of much more healthy relationship going on they then can start practicing it in the real world as i said it needs to be really slow work yeah and what i always did was ask the the person as they start to come out more to report back to me how these new experiences this new integration was and how they you know how they experienced life in between sessions yeah this is very slow work this isn't something which you would just do overnight because otherwise they will just repeat history yeah i think what that's one of the things i seem to be talking quite a lot with clients about lately is is that backlash and that self-sabotage that once once they show a part of themselves that they've kept hidden there's they, they kind of regress even further and then there's kind of self-sabotage that goes on and you may and they may disappear so deeply yeah that as a therapist you might feel you've totally lost contact with them. and how they will appear in the therapy room is almost like they almost like they were when they first started therapy yeah in other words, they go back to a much more un unauthentic social self. And they lose, and also they lose sight of themselves. And how they do that is that they aren't able to get in contact with feelings. So they are they appear frozen. Yeah. And as what, what actually happens psychologically, of course, is what you've just said, is they retreat back. Now in the literature we're really talking about a schizoid phenomena here. In the literature, uh, many of the authors talk about this further regression that you're talking about is a bit like a citadel or a private fortress. And they go back to the deepest dungeon in that private fortress. And it's almost an impossible for the therapist to reach them because they've got so many layers up. Yeah. Yeah, so they, and you're right, one important thing you've said is, I think shame can often trigger that regressive process with the withdrawn person. Yeah. So the question is, how, how, can, how can a person that's withdrawn so much allow themselves to be in a relationship with a therapist that they can discover their vitality, their spontaneity, their feelings, um, and just like the fairy story, allow themselves to be woken up by the passion and contact 
of the external person. Takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think what you were saying earlier on about the, the fortress is, is something that, you know, an analogy or, or what I use quite a lot is making contact and being consistent and, you know, safe and secure environment. You're kind of loosening the fortress walls, but then when they show up, they just put another wall up because it's not strong enough. So when there's that backlash, it's like more protection. Somebody's getting in and need to build another wall. That's right. And the mistake I remember making with Jane, by the way, which is one of the biggest mistakes, I think, are several the therapists make with the withdrawn with withdrawn client is what I will call trying too hard, mm -hmm. which may lead to the client feeling overwhelmed. So the, one of the things about a client that withdraws to the extent that we're talking about, they could easily go through a session and never speak. So if we talk about silence, I remember one session where she just didn't speak for nearly all the session. Now it's how you use silence. Now she used it in terms of blocking me off. Then what does the therapist do? Now, if you go too early, the client is likely to feel overwhelmed. I mean, when I say go too early, I mean an attempt to make contact. Yeah. The client can feel overwhelmed and go back even further. If you stay out, if you stay in a way which just honoring the silence, which I think is a is positive to a certain extent, you run the risk of um, how can I explain the the client feeling may be punished or persecuted or um, given up on. Yeah. So it's a very delicate balance, especially when they close down to that extent. Yeah. Now, well, I remember several times this happening and I remember how I used silence. And that was, uh, what's the longest I, Probably, maybe, and it's, this is a long time, Jackie. This is not a short time in psychotherapy. 25 minutes, 30 minutes. Have you ever been quiet for 30 minutes with somebody? It's a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, what goes through my head is I'm not going to give up on this person. I don't want them to experience that I'm giving up on them, but I also don't want to overwhelm them and frighten them so much so they remember they have a fear of exposure. Yeah. They go back even further. So I remember saying, okay, we can stay for another half an hour as we are, or is it okay, and with this particular person, if I just, and this is a big risk I remember with her, well, I felt it was a risk anyway, is it okay if I just touch you slightly on the shoulder so you know that I'm with you? And that's all we did for the next half hour. Yeah. And then it came to the 15 minutes, I said, thank you for allowing me to be with you. I look forward to seeing you next week. Now, she came back next week and what she reported was, what was so important for her, that I hadn't given up on her, but at the same time had honoured her space. 
And she said, well, interesting, Jackie. So she said the most important thing actually was that. And the second most important was that I'd reached out and initiated some sort of contact which she could take away with her to know that I was on her side. Yeah. And that enabled her to come back the next week. Now, what I did the next week was I simply started off there and said, could you tell me how things had been the previous week? So we started off fairly cognitive with her explaining how, but I quickly went into a review of how it was the week before. This is the sort of therapy you would do with somebody who's so withdrawn that they're out of contact, not only with you, but themselves. And the only way they can get in contact with themselves actually is through you. Through the client, through the therapist, I mean. So it's very long, painstaking work. Now, as I said, I think, and you said it yourself, that if, there's, if, the, if the therapist does make a mistake and ends up uh, where the person goes even further back, the best thing to do is to attempt to heal the rupture by talking about that mistake, not to ignore it. Yeah. Does this sound familiar of your work with working with withdrawn people? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I, I use a lot of metaphors and I talk about the space between us somehow, <laughs> you know, a lot of the work I feel happens in the therapy room is trying to get through their filter, through their script, through their beliefs. And I can be hammering at that, not that I do hammer at it, but I can be hammering at that for years and not make a dent. They've got to be working from their side out as well. And that only comes with trust and time, I think. It's not about a therapist breaking down the walls or anything. I think the client has got to take them down from their side. I think it's the op. I, I agree and don't agree. So I agree with, until the last sentence, I agreed with most of what you said, which is was that it is slow, painstaking work and all the things you just said. However, if you wait for the client to break, to take those defences down without doing anything, you wait for a very, very long time. I was always taught, and uh, uh, when I talk about the withdrawn person, I'm talking about a, technically a, what people call schizoids in the, I don't hate that word, but schizoiding means split. That if you try and attempt to um, out passive a schizoid, in other words, if you just wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait, they'll wait forever because they're frozen. And it's just like the fairy story. It's just like what I said earlier on. I waited half an hour with her, but then I said, is it okay if I make contact with you in a very gentle way and touched her shoulder? So I believe the relational need for initiation is vital to a withdrawn person to this level because they'll just stay frozen. So I think it is almost the therapy duty of the client with a client that is so withdrawn and so split off 
to initiate contact somehow. The question is how? In a way that it's not overwhelming for the other person and they don't shut down so much that you never see them again. I mean, psychologically, you just don't go back to being the social self. It's not an easy um, treatment. No, no. And it, it's like you say, it's, it's a long time. But for me, the way that I look at it, and when I said about them taking down the walls from, from inside, is that it, it's about the trust, it's about the connection with you know that therapeutic relationship. I personally don't think that I can do that if they're not taking it down from the inside out. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll put it another way around, perhaps the way around I think it is. I believe that only really trust you if you pass the test. Oh God, yeah, hundred percent. I think the that's only way you'll any pass, client. Yeah, yeah, the only way you're going to pass the test with a client that's this withdrawn is to is to meet the un, what I call the unmet need for initiation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I now, get that. How you do? How you do it, Jack? Is the question. It's like. It's how you do it, and this is not an easy answer to this because you actually may not never know, or it appears you might never know what's actually happening. What I do is ask them what's happening. If they appear so frozen, I don't know what's happening inside them. I can only wait, I will only wait so long in that silence before I might break it by saying, Could you just let me know a little bit what's happening with the thinking level or even a feeling level? But usually I say thinking. Because feeling is the last thing in this this process. They they're anywhere near it. So it's usually a cognitive, um, you know, uh, question, which is more like, could you tell me a little bit what's happening on the inside? Yeah. I don't think they can let those defences down by themselves. I think they're waiting for the prince to do it. Yeah, I I understand that, but I also. I, I, I'm loving this conversation, but for me, it, they have to be doing it on the inside as well. Otherwise, the, there's just another wall goes up. They can't do it. They cannot do it psychologically. They have to have your help. Yeah, I'm. I'm agreeing with that. So but, what are we disagreeing? About? I don't no, no. Well, that's it. I think we're both saying the same thing. But. I can't break that wall down for them. They have to be. No, you can't. If because that's when they just will retreat. Correct. If I'm bashing on the bloody fortress door. Yeah, you can't. You cannot. But you see, you cannot. That's absolutely right. However, you can do something. Oh yeah, hundred percent. An initiating contact, I think, is a really yeah. big part of it. Yeah. yeah. You can do it by what you just said there, which is when you said that. I, I think I could see. The way we can perhaps mutually agree yeah which is come alongside them yeah yeah See, i think that's different yeah than doing nothing and you, you, for me the clients that i think you're referring to that i've seen for quite a few years they still i call it shut down they they still shut down in front of me i can see it physically where they withdraw yeah. and shut down and the silence comes yeah. And you'll feel it. Yeah, 100%. Right. And at that moment, 
the question is how can you come alongside them so they can feel validated trusted enough and that yeah. you're not giving up on them yeah yeah the, that is the question yeah. that is that is the therapeutic treatment if you can manage that not just you me any therapist yeah 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 they will then they will then feel met in a way they've not been met in their history yeah now you know this is going to be slow work because they may then allow themselves to you know externalize more just with you so they can feel their own feelings internally then they may uh, a critic may come out and they may regress even further but if you keep on tenaciously the way that i think we're talking in my experience though it takes a long time you will get somewhere mm -hmm. and they will get somewhere but it takes a long time yeah yeah and I think, again, you know, for particular clients that I'm thinking about is often they want to rush the process and it's me that's slowing it down for them sometimes. Yeah. So when you say rush the process. They get frustrated that. They, why, why can I not just change it? Why do I keep criticizing myself? Why do I keep doing the same stuff over and over again? And some clients want to rush it and I'm the one that's saying it's okay. Yeah, so what you'll see in the life outside if the therapy's working, you will see that the client is more in touch with feelings a little bit. They started to thaw out more internally in terms of getting in touch with joy perhaps that's a pretty big one but their own feelings and they might even then start to um if they're not in a relationship even this is a pretty big one even seek out a relationship or if they're in a relationship start to um take risks with intimacy yeah in other words being more intimate what you're saying, though, I think is absolutely correct. Usually, if they haven't actually done the integrative therapy that I'm talking about, where they actually not only integrate their relationship with the therapist, but they actually use an integration between the internal and external worlds of themselves, they then will repeat history with that relationship. Yeah. Some way where they feel rejected, abandoned and hurt, and they'll retreat even further. And often I might say to the, these types of clients, and I did with this one, I suggest you don't have a relationship for a while. Yeah. Till we've done the work we need to do here. Now, what happens, and it did with this person, is they get so frustrated, a bit like what you're talking about. Oh, I'm fine now. I'm fine. I can't stay out of a relationship for another year. You know, I've started to get in touch with my internal feelings. I'm more spontaneous. I'll pick the right type of people this time. I'll have a shopping list. We'll look for the type of qualities we didn't look before. And we'll try a relationship. So they try a relationship. And if they haven't done the therapy they need to do with the therapist, quite often you then have this repetitive process that you're talking about. Yeah. And then they'll say, oh, how come I still 
do the same things and I pick the same people who eventually let me down. Yeah. Or with me, you, you know, with, with clients that I've seen, it's not even just about relationships. It's in a work situation or in a family situation or whatever. They just replay it in a different area. They kind of think I've got it sorted now because my relationship is okay, but then they'll replay it in a different place and then come back and say, why is that happening? Hmm. If they haven't done the work with the therapist mm -hmm. and then, of course, the work with their history. Yeah. And they haven't integrated the internal external conflict with themselves then they're likely to repeat yeah. history in some ways so with somebody who's this withdrawn for very good reasons because they protect themselves usually against trauma hurt and loss yeah as a therapist you need to take they need to go back to those areas and need to be healed you know, in those past traumas, so they can be different today. Yeah. So unless they do that work, they'll always repeat history. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's long work, and um, I often think that, as I say, the trap is you might think they 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 they're healed because they report that back to you, but often they're not. So it's like, what, when do we know this work is done to a degree that they're able to make real changes in their life? And that's a difficult one. Probably by trial and error. Yeah. I think, uh, I think of this kind particularly, I, she was in therapy for about eight or nine years. And she went into at least another couple of relationships and repeated the same particular patterns we're talking about. Then she went into another one and still the same processes would be there. She's now out of a relationship. Um, and even though I worked with her eight or nine years, I, I kept in locum therapy, if you like, what I call maintenance therapy in a way. And um, I mean, I retired a couple of years ago but we were working even, even at the time of my retirement. Now she'd come a long way. Yeah. And I feel she's much better equipped, not only in her life, but her internal contact in terms of spontaneity, joy, and intimacy. I hope that in the relationship she next picks, we have a different outcome. yeah it's it's really interesting you when you you see things unfold in in front of you and like you said that that meant i like the way you phrase that the maintenance therapy i i've had clients that do come back because they're aware of their behavior and i'm starting to replay the same thing so i think i need to come back and I don't know, have a top up, whatever it is, however they phrase it, just to ground myself again so that I can go back out. Mm. And to me, that's okay. Well, it's a bit like the meerkat. Yeah. That I'm talking about. Yeah. They are able to stay out longer. Yeah. To externalise longer. Yeah. 
they're more able to feel the fruits of the external world for longer and maybe not long enough. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, it, it's, it, sometimes it's about being the constant object that you're there. They, you know, I see it kind of like when we individuate and separate out a lot of the time. You can go, you can explore, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. So go be free, do your thing and touch base if you need to. Mm. Because for, for me, with my clients, a lot of it is, it's not always about trusting me, it's about trusting themselves. Yeah, they can only trust themselves, Jackie, if they can trust another. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Because but it, sometimes... You know, you know this yourself in child development. Yeah. The child learns to trust the parent, and through that whole process we're talking about, they then learn to trust themselves. Yeah, yeah. They won't do it without you. No, no. But it, it's about trusting them enough that they can go out and live their life well, my daughter's okay. getting that. It's not my daughter does not happen doesn't have to have this type of withdrawn script we're talking about. But she's getting married in two weeks' time. <gasps> no. Yeah, and and if you're talking about what you're talking about, as a father, I have to trust her. Yeah, and that really, can be really in difficult. End, in the <laughs> end of the day, that I have to trust her. Yep. For her uh, sense of autonomy. Yep. Empowerment, and that she can live a life through me not for me yeah yeah you know somebody's so withdrawn they're so withdrawn because they've been so hurt so traumatized in this case of this client i'm thinking about she had a, a mother that neglected her a father that abandoned her when she was one and a lot of the closing down was because she didn't want to actually ever be in that type a process again where she had to feel that devastating loss however the desire to have prince charming is so strong you get this meerkat phenomena of in and out yeah the therapist's job is to catch them when they're in actually i mean sorry catch well you go catch them when they're out so you can get to when they're in yeah yeah long-term work yeah and it's it's interesting and you know it's kind of like that i need you don't come close you know stay with me go away it's that constant ebb and flow of i'm in there no i'm not yes you are no i'm not that's why finding a way to come alongside them yeah is a proactivity by the therapist yeah it's not a passive activity by the therapist yeah so that the client doesn't feel that they've been abandoned, given up on, and have their history repeated. And you know what, with these types of withdrawn people, what's so difficult is you might never know that that's the repetition of history has happened. Mm. Unless they tell you. Yeah, yeah. And then they leave therapy, they think they're healed, but all, all that's happened really, is that you've touched their social self a bit and maybe had some glimpses of their, we'll call them real self, but I think the tra traumatised child. And somehow you've, you've, you've gone along in the therapy and produced 
or what's happening has been an enactment of the past, they zoom back to the social self and leave therapy. And you never know that anything has happened. Yeah. And that, when you said being alongside them, I see that happens a lot with clients is, you know, it's, we show them the road and we're alongside them on their journey that, you know, it's, we can kind of lead the way, but it's about being alongside them. Yeah. I think that's quite powerful. Well, it is when you talk, we'll add an extra word in being alongside them in a contactful way. Yeah. Which they can then bear and tolerate to a place where they can start to tolerate their own feelings to enable themselves to perhaps experiment enough with the therapist or even life, but let's say with the therapist, to actually join you on the journey in a more of a real way. Mm. Yeah. And again, I think clients are quite good sometimes about dropping crumbs for for me to pick up they won't specifically say something but they might say i'm i'm thinking something but i'm not sure whether i should say it and it's kind of like they're, they're opening a window rather than a door let's say for me to to make contact with them oh. yeah so it's lots of patience yeah lots of wisdom yeah Lot of careful therapy. Yeah. Is really what is the treatment of working with the withdrawn client. Yeah. Well, there we go, Bob. It's been quite a long session, Tom. I think it I think it's been good. And yeah. we've got lots more episodes to come where we're going to be exploring different clients and yeah. what they can bring into the therapy room. It's obsession. And the obsessive client next, very different work and similar, but dramatically different with this other type of client. Yeah. Till the next time, Bob. Yes, look forward to that. I Now, remember, people who have so withdrawn, if they're presenting from a social self, will always come back at the acquired time. So I'll see you at the next, <laughs> next time. Yes, it's booked in. I will I will be there too. Speak okay. to you. Look forward to it. You've been listening to The Therapy Show. Behind Closed Doors Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. We'll be back next week with another episode. <laughs>